everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of Building Public Podcast. I'm super excited today. I've been waiting for this interview for a while now. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest from Atlanta, which is you know where I live into. It's Kat Cole. Welcome to the show, Kat. Thanks for having me. Um, Kat, I've been a big fan of, of your story, of your example, um, and, and, and the leadership principles and, and traits that you embody. And ever since I got to know you, really, you know, which is not that long, only been <laughs> a year, as I said at the beginning, but I think diving into your content and your interviews really um, showed me um, like many of the principles that I believe in, which is the building in public and, and being a bold leader um, in front of the community has been fascinating. So I just want to start off the right off the bat, say I've been a big fan of your work, for example. Um, but I also am curious where this all began. And I, I know, you know, you've covered this in many interviews about your origin story in, in Head Hooters, um, but also like all the way back to your childhood. But I'm curious if you had a specific inflection moment in your career or life uh, where you knew that, all right, this is this is a special moment. And I know after this, I'm on the path of greatness. Hmm. I don't know that I had a moment that led to I'm on the path to greatness <laughs> thought. That's pretty, pretty bold. Um, but as I reflect, there were many moments where I realized part of what my superpowers are or um, a special muscle that I had or um, kind of capability market fit you know, if you will. And th those moments were many. There wasn't one where it was a giant bright light bulb. It was moments where, you know, we, I have these cool Edison bulb lamps at home with a slow dial. And, and it was like turning that dial, click, 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 where it wasn't a new realization over time. It was one realization when I was uh, in junior high and taking care of my sisters. And another realization when I was in high school and realizing I was different and how I stuck up for my friends. And then when I started working early and took on many jobs in the restaurant, which I've talked about, you know, each one of those were a, a further dialing of, of that dial where the light definitely got brighter, where I don't know that it made me think I'm on the path to greatness, but it definitely lit up the path, you know, to right. greatness. It's a, it's interesting that you say that because I think what I'm curious to see now, I mean, kind of curious about, curious to find out now is like in, in your Twitter bio, you have a line that says something about helping people see that they can be more than what they believe. I think something and on those lines. Helping people realize they're capable of more than they know. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sure that was put in there for a specific reason, right? Why and what? I mean, that is my purpose. That is my superpower. It is my magic. It is my answer to the question, what do you want to be remembered for? Mm. Uh, it, it's it's the thing. And it did take a while for me to put it into words and to do so succinctly. But it became apparent at some point that really that's all I'm doing. When I was the president of a $5 billion company leading other presidents, I'm I'm helping people realize they're capable of more than they know. And part of doing that is, uh, you know, a lot of... Uh, strategic thinking, setting vision, building great talent, uh, allocating resources in an appropriate way, you know, helping people realize they're capable of more than they know is more than just 
what it sounds like on the surface. It's more than being inspiring. It is, in fact, being in the trenches sometimes. It is firing people sometimes. It's hiring people sometimes. It's saying I'm wrong, you know, on occasion. And so what goes under that is far more nuanced and complex and can look like being a great mom or being a good friend or being a kick-ass executive uh, or being uh, a really involved investor or advisor to high growth companies, which I am today. The titles look different and the groups and stakeholders may evolve, but really that is the through line. That's the thread that goes through everything that I'm doing. And as long as I'm doing that to my fullest potential, I'm on purpose in both ways. People may hear that phrase. I am on purpose, meaning I'm being the most intentional and I am, I am on my purpose, you know, living in line with my superpowers and my magic and the things that come to me more easily than others with less effort and greater outcomes. So that's what it means. I love that. And then I have to wonder if it ties all the way back to the uh, one of the concepts that you mentioned in one of the interviews that I resonated deeply with, um, the concept of positivity lens versus possibility lens. I thought that was fascinating. And, and I have a I have an add-on to talk about that. But I want to, for the, for the audience, for the listeners, for the founders and everybody who here, how would you define it if you have to, you know, quickly, succinctly define the possibility versus positivity lens? Yeah, this, we just went deep into this on Shane Parrish's um, knowledge podcast, project, the yeah. Knowledge Project. And I think it was a version of the title of the of the episode, and it's something I've talked about a lot, the power of possible. And the reason I talk about it often in contrast to positivity is that I'm often asked because of the turnaround situations I've been in or tough personal moments or organizational moments, I'm often asked, you know, how do you stay positive? How do you stay positive at all? And then how do you stay so positive? Because I am certainly known as being positive, but I'm more of a pragmatic optimist or an optimistic realist. You know, I'm some hybrid of those. And what I've learned is during really tough times or not even tough, just complex, you know, and heavy, I've found that positivity can sometimes be the most disconnected, unhelpful thing you can sort of demonstrate. And that, but then people say, well, if not for positivity, then what? Negativity? Well, no, of course not. Um, But it's instead of being positive or creating positivity where others may struggle to see through the fog or the moment, I've learned to focus on possibility. So instead of being positive, that might be disingenuous or uncalled for or tone deaf, you know, given what stakeholders are experiencing, instead focus on what's possible. And of course, there's optimism within that, but it doesn't feel like rainbows and butterflies amidst a battlefield. And that would just be very odd. And a few people would enjoy it, but many people you know, would say that's not real, right? That's not a mirage. So the idea of understanding what's possible, which takes confronting reality, having perspective of things outside of your universe, and then connecting sort of the present and the future or your scenario and many others and mapping those together to demonstrate what's possible far enough out that it's aspirational, but close enough in that it is visible and believable, and then rallying people, you know, with a compass, not a roadmap, but a compass to say that's the direction that we're heading. And that as a 
a muscle and a mindset translates across any scale, any position in a job uh, or in a company, uh, and certainly almost any situation. So when you apply this framework, you know, um, on talent, people, I think it, it takes a whole new spin. You know, to me, what stuck out when I heard about this phrase and this beautiful explanation on, on that other podcast too is around like when you can actually, you know, when you meet someone new, especially as an investor now, or, you know, when I meet somebody new as, as the director here, we have so little data on that person, you know? So it's easy to simply jump into a blanket positivity, you know, as opposed to finding out, digging deeper and like understanding the nuance and there's like to your point, superpowers was the things that they may really crush at, you know, they're really good at it, but they maybe they don't know it, you know, and then actually believing in them, leaning into them. And this turns into like a massive boost for them. You know, and I've had so many experiences of that concept. And I call it the belief capital where, you know, so many times early stage founders are not looking for that first check at the 10, 20, 30 kids. It's not going to change that much dramatically, you know, of their trajectory. But if a powerful, influential person looks straight in their eye and say, I believe in you, I believe in what you're working on, that can be a whole different ballgame for them, right? So I wonder, in your recent experience or in, in, in your, I don't know, last two, three years experience, where have you felt that you've been able to apply this, this possibility or this positivity lens? Well, certainly to early stage angel investing, you know, to your point, because you, you know, you need to connect what you're interpreting from individuals that you likely have never met before right. with signals in the marketplace and then the understanding, and this is where maturity and scar tissue and experience come in handy, understanding the storylines of many other companies and founders. And it's, it's easier to be a believer when you have more context of how the movies end Right. You know, in similar genres and you're less likely to get freaked out when there are bumps because you've been over the bumps uh, and you're more likely to be encouraging because you can see over the hill that they can't, you know, at this point. So my possibility lens has certainly uh, been put to work most by early stage angel investing in the recent years. But I would, you know, even say it's been put to work for myself, uh, for me, as I've evolved from being primarily, you know, a top executive running these large companies with angel investing, advising, board work and speaking in the background. And now those things have flipped and I'm spending all of my time advising board work, investing, writing, you know, content. So even for me, redefining what's possible and thinking about what that looks like and how these worlds come together and same thing, right? There are certain hills I can't see over, but someone else can. And so I can be my own kind of possibility coach. And I know to connect with other people that can help me think about different versions of, you know, of reality that could come true if I leaned in one way versus the other. So it's a tool I've learned to use for myself in addition to other people. Awesome. I mean, you you kind of uh, touched on something that I uh, will use as a segue to ask you about. So part of your story, part of your um, presence, at least on Twitter and persona, it, it, to me feels like you're hyper curious. And I love that in, in, you know, in a business leader, in an executive. So like, 
two moments that I want to highlight. One when when Clubhouse broke out, right, 2020, you know, March, April ish. Mm-hmm. You went all in. You went. You were early and you were all in. Right? Mm-hmm. And you were like curious and you were present. You were not just on the sidelines. You were actually in the arena, you know, hosting shows and yeah. and just, you know, became really prolific at it. I want to ask you about like what that experience was like. What did it teach you? But then that's part one. The part two of the question is with the NFTs too. And I think, again, the same story, right? You're very <laughs> early. You're I mean, relatively early compared to yeah. the mainstream Fortune yeah. in America. Um, uh, but again, do, learning by doing, you know, so what? What have you learned from these two unique experiences? They're both, they're, they're quite similar, actually. I think it's really great that you've connected those dots. Um, one, I, I mean, we all have ego, but my ego is more tied to the journey mm-hmm. and discovering and productive change over time than it is tied to looking like I know what I'm doing. And that's, that is important foundational context. Because doing what I do in the way that I do it requires that. Otherwise, people would never put themselves out there to go that deep, that fast, tie their reputations right. you know, to different experiences and platforms and communities. And I have enough belief that I can figure it out. I have enough belief in my spidey sense, you know, my informed intuition around what is worth leaning into. So I do have a level of belief in what I lean into. There are many things I don't, right? Tried Snapchat. It's huge. Mm-hmm. It's enormous. Not, not my thing. I do have an account. If anyone wants to like beep, beep, say hi. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am an early adopter that I, I am that in the world on the curve, <laughs> you know, I'm the beginning of the curve. I might not be the first notch, but I'm probably the second. And that is because I'm one, I'm plugged into communities of other curious people. That's how I hear about these things. I see the excitement. And then I try to filter the noise for what is hype versus potential. And then over time doing this a lot, I'm also appreciating what it's like to be early in anything big. Right. And it's messy and it's noisy. And there's as much, if not more BS you know, then there is quality. And so when you know that and you appreciate it, it's like, okay, this part of the pond is muddy. I'm probably not going to be able to avoid walking through some of it, right? but I know how to look out for it and I'm going to try and I'm going to put on waders, you know, (laughs) to walk through. And so you just, it's a, it's a filtering mechanism and a decision-making mechanism that, I also used in really old school IRL ways, like picking real estate and selecting franchisees. And when we would acquire a brand into our portfolio, I mean, a lot of this is the ability to say, is the juice worth the squeeze, which requires you have a pretty deep understanding of the juice and the squeeze. Um, and, And Clubhouse was very interesting and similar in so many ways to NFTs in that what was tied to the product experience and learning and discovery was community. Right. I mean, they are identical in that way. And that sets them apart from other things I've been early in. Even Twitter and Instagram, you know, social platforms that where I was an early adopter, certainly as an executive of a large company, I was like on an island. Right. Um, They still didn't have the same feeling of community that these do. So these get stickier faster. It, that also means it's harder to sort through the hype and the noise, yeah. you know, because there's a reinforcing energy around it as opposed right. to solo navigation. Right. 
And so appreciating when solo navigation is the way and when sort of group community navigation is the way, which just means for me, I have to be more comfortable, even more comfortable asking for help very quickly. I followed the tutorials. I watched the videos. I learned by doing, to your point, I buy, I wait, I mint, I lose my gas. Those all NFT terms. I get stuck. I ask for help. You know, I say GM help friends, you know, in the discord. And usually there's some cool cat. That's a reference to cool cats. Um, usually there's some cool cat who's like, here's a tip. And rarely are people overly helpful because there's a bazillion people like me coming into the space every day. But usually there's one or two people who are helpful. And I try to be helpful in my own way. Hey, does anyone need some thinking around brand or IP? I know that space. If anyone needs help in public speaking or decision-making or leadership, or you have a tough interpersonal situation, let me know. You know, it's my currency. That's what I can offer. Right. And, that's your and token. Somebody's, and then, yeah, that's my token. And then <laughs> someone's like, I need to do a little like dollar sign LDR, like leader <laughs> token. Uh, <laughs> but it is these communities, these community-based um, platforms, there is just a human joy yeah. in being a part of them. And, and I have, uh, I've learned to have a sense of what am I willing to stake, right? That could be money. It could be time. It could be reputation. Typically, I go pretty deep in these platforms time-wise for at least a couple weeks. Um, again, my husband is amazing. <laughs> Very patient. I, in those early days, I can remember. He'd be like, are you on on, on Clubhouse again? And But then he appreciated what value it was creating. And I moderated my schedule very quickly. Same thing with NFTs. He's like, are you on OpenSea again? Um, and shout out Daly, who is listening. Yeah, <laughs> shout out to Daly, my husband. And my kids know what Clubhouse sounds like. They're like, oh, that's Clubhouse. And my kids now know some of the NFTs, you know, the cats and the creatures and the frogs. And um, I think maybe I just gravitate toward the kid-friendly ones. <laughs> but that, it is me. And But I don't stay in those deep, deep phases very long. I go deep, I learn, I realize where my no-go zones are, you know, NFTs. I'm not a minter. I don't mint. I've lost money on minting. I don't have the time to focus. I'm going to let other people mint. I'll be your first buyer <laughs> on secondary. But I learned because I lost time and energy and money attempting it and realized that there are people who are going to go deep into that. And that's not for me. Same thing with Clubhouse. I realized what rooms I wanted to create, what rooms I didn't. I invited people onto the platform that would reflect more of the clubhouse I wanted to see in the world. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the leadership speakers and academics and thinkers. And, and so, and then I dip out if it's not me and I stay in if it is, but in a more moderated, thoughtful, you know, way that makes sense for my life, my personal life, my schedule and, and my public persona. But it is funny people yeah. who met me for the first time during that clubhouse season, or if someone's encountering me for the first time now on Twitter, many of them have no idea what my background is. They think <laughs> I'm an NFT head, right? Like that's, and there's a part of me that thinks, oh man, is that going to confuse people about, you know, my business credibility and my leadership acumen? But then my FU energy is really high. Right. <laughs> I'm just like, but also, I mean, I don't care. I mean, it could be just one person, but I, I think it, it, to me, take one person's opinion, I think it just makes you cooler. And as a business person, business leader, you know, and then partly what prompted me to reach out to you for this podcast is the fact that you had 
such a multi-hyphenate personality, you know, and you were not sort of hiding it or not sort of afraid to try something new like NFTs or because there's, like you said, to your point, like there's so much hype about these emerging, there's always is, right? Like in 2008, it was about social media, um, you know, Snapchat broke out, Periscope broke out. There's always hype, but at the same time, there's also potential and there's opportunity and like social audio now is a thing, right? Thanks to Clubhouse. Yeah. Well, there's seven other options too, but like at least mm-hmm. that category has been created. The same thing with like, you know, CBCs, thanks to Maven, is now a thing, right? That's right. And, and I've got a course that I'm building on Maven. So really? I'm, okay. I'm doing it. We'll, we'll put yeah. that at the end. But, you know, so I think going back to exploring curiosity, I think a lot, to me, what's what's been interesting about your story is, is the fact that it just, it's like a cyclical thing. It's like an infinite loop. And some of the greatest thinkers and creators of our generation and founders, to me, have always reserved time, energy, and, and, and a bandwidth to do that. You know, and then so I'm like, I'm very happy to know that you're, you're on the same path. So jumping gears to um, a couple other topics here. Um, actually, we haven't covered this at the beginning, but I, I want to ask you this. What, what are you currently building and focusing on as not NFTs, but like, <laughs> more full time, I guess. Yeah, you know, it really is, you know, just like we're in web three, you know, 3.0, it's sort of, you know, maybe it's cat Cole 3.0. And it is a lot like the evolution of these other, you know, parts of our lives where far more angel investing, a ton of advising, uh, high growth founders, and and my board work, I'm on the board of Slice, a technology company, Human Co, a, spa, a wellness spac, uh, Milk Bar and Omnichannel Dessert Brand—they're all founder-led still, you know, many years in. And so I have this deep love for founder CEOs uh, and the journeys that they're on. And I seem to be attracting the ones that are between the eight and ten-year mark as they hit some pretty big milestones uh, in their companies. I'm a heavily involved advisor of Athletic Greens, uh, also, you know, founder-led, bootstrapped to well over a hundred million in annual sales big things coming up from them. And then lots of earlier stage companies, Lunchbox and Vacation, the Sunscreen Company and Race and SPV for House of Wise, the um, yeah. digitally native CBD brand. And um, and so this idea of I'm, you know, a- an advisory shop in a way. And my goal for this season, and that's what it is. They're all just seasons. Right. And this season post- Focus Brands post being president and COO of that company is about helping other people build their businesses. And in the first three months, it was literally like volunteer work. I just wanted to help anyone and everyone that wanted or needed my help. And then what that led to is a lot more inbound <laughs> from funds and founders. And you know, Clubhouse certainly was a part of that, that visibility from that platform. And then angel investing and advising leads to more opportunities to invest and advise. And then by May, my husband and I realized we've invested three times more than we typically do in a full year by May. So the powder was like (laughs) at least dry for now or gone for now. And but the advisory work had really changed to more meaningful work. And now it's my job. Mm -hmm. Um, I have amazing, amazing advisory roles and have room for more, but I'm very involved. And so it's not like, hey, we'll throw you a you know, a fraction of a point of equity and spend a bunch of time with us. And maybe down the road, it turns into something. This is my work right now. So these are highly paid, highly invested, 
advisory roles where it's my job. And so by day, uh, if you want to think of it that way, although it doesn't split up day and night, by day, I am a full-time advisor and board member. I've considered raising my own fund, um, but I, I think I'll leave that for another day. I am not another season. To, yeah, another Perhaps, season. Yeah. Yeah, another season. Uh, I am not leaning into operating another big thing right away. It's always an option. It's a possibility, um, but not some. I've turned down some really cool ones, so it's definitely not the season for that. And I want to spend at least a year, which I'm now nine months into, eight and a half months into, at least a year just advising, investing, and board work. And I'm enjoying this so much; it looks like it it may become a prolonged season. Uh, and and it's it's my gig for now. It's so um, coincidental that you brought up the uh, concept of a season. And then, frankly, I haven't heard that phrase being used in business as much, but it kind of makes sense, a ton of sense if you think about it. Because, you know, if you compare it to like any major league sports like the NBA or like, and you see some of these great talent, they have seasons at different championship teams or whatever mm -hmm. teams. And they're there for specific reasons. You know, you could be, for example, like when um, LeBron came back to uh, Cleveland, there was a specific reason he wanted to bring the championship home. And, um, and, you know, again, so on and so forth. And I wonder if executives and people in tech can think of their, you know, journey, not just as a linear, like, you know, career of 15 years, 10 years in DDC or 10, 11 years in, in, in uh, VC backed startups, but like, Hey, he, this season, I'm going to explore NFTs. I'm going to go all in. You're going to find me doing a bunch of podcasts. You're going to find me doing clubhouse shows. You're going to be, see me on a Discord server. And then once it's, you know, once you've hit a certain level of uh, curiosity saturation, you're like, mm -hmm. okay, what's next? You know, and maybe then you can take an operation role or be an operator, you know, at a venture led growth stage company and then switch again. You know what I mean? I think I'm curious about this as a phenomenon and I'll, I'll certainly at least look into it as, as a phenomenon myself. I feel like, my story had seasons. Like I remember just like your uh, clubhouse, I had a no code season where I was like complete nobody noob in the world, but I was very early, early enough to go actually build stuff. I built 13 no code projects. I went from nobody to like someone who actually understands the game and, you know, has skin in the game and played in the arena. And then I got into the Twitter building public game. So that was the second season, right? And, and so on and so forth. So definitely interesting to think like that. So I have a couple habits, lifestyle questions for you. Mm -hmm. um, so what helps you stay in a state of flow? One is getting enough time with my husband. I, it is very difficult for me to really be in a true flow state if I'm not feeling connected to him. So our coffee dates um, are long weekends together when, when we can get one, when we have a specific amount throughout the year where we go on solo weekends and vacations together, but it's, it's the coffee dates. It's the little bit of time in the morning and a little bit in the evening around our two and four year olds. Um, that's a big part for me. The other is making sure that what I'm spending my energy on the energy economics of my week net out to being more energy creating than energy right. draining. And so what I didn't say is everything gives me life, right? Because not everything gives me life. Um, and so that's incredibly important. Breathing exercises is huge for me. Overall, 
sense of well-being. And so, you know, am I again on the whole, I have a pretty balanced view of wellness and health and energy economics. Um, it's like on the net, right? Not everything has to be perfect. I'm not an extremist in almost any part of my life, but I am very conscious of on the whole what's going on. And I, I don't know who I was just reading or listening to that made the point that said we we think a lot of our future selves. So we might make a, a not so great decision now because we're assuming our future self tomorrow will make far better decisions. And then right. we're that same person in the moment that we were yesterday in the moment. And I try to really keep that in perspective of how are my decisions on what I'm saying yes to, what I'm saying no to, what I'm putting in my body, um, how I'm moving or not moving. What are the economics of that over the course of a week? The week is my kind of like economic window. And that really helps me be a better person in the moment in terms of my decisions that lead to being more in a state of flow. I mean, simply stated, when I am speaking, mm. especially in public to large groups, I am in the most technical state of flow possible. It requires no effort. I barely remember it after. I am not nervous. I am where I am supposed to be. The idea of connecting with many is, is what brings about my most natural flow state, even if I haven't seen my husband taking care of myself, you know, whatever, but all the other kind of normal day-to-day -day activities that helps me be in more of a flow state and remembering to have rest yeah, periods, which might just be a walk around the house or a time with the kids or as frustrated as I may be that I can't unlock my ETH from Coinbase to my wallet to get that NFT that's at the floor that I want and, and it gets locked up and then the floor is exploding, which has just happened over the last few days. And it makes my brain hurt. That is when I know the moment has gone. I close the computer. I hang Stay out with my friends. Walking. I have no FOMO. I have peace <laughs> with it. I celebrate those who got it. Another one will come. <laughs> and it's just like having that command though, right? The ability to bring yourself to peace and not get spooled up. And, and again, not risking things I shouldn't risk. Yeah. Not I risking think... time I shouldn't risk because it belongs to my children or my husband or to me alone, not risking money or relationships or reputation. I mean, having a good stronghold on what you shouldn't just throw out there mm. um, helps protect energy and confidence you know, to maintain that flow state in peak moments. Have you found that while you communicate, while you talk, have you found that it certainly also helps you think and brainstorm in public? When I'm, no, when I'm giving speeches, which always come from the heart and I don't write scripts, right. I have a framework in my mind because right. I've worked with the client um, on what they're looking for. And, and then I have certain kind of touchstone tent pole stories and lessons that can frame a journey that's appropriate for that audience. Those moments are not thinking and brainstorming. Mm. It one-on-one, -on -one, yes. Mm. You know, the, I am a talking thinker, but I'm also part processor. Like I like to listen to other people speak and then noodle and think and then make a few notes and then talk React. about one-on-one -on -one yeah. or in small groups. But my public speaking, when I'm when I'm in that deep, deep, deep flow state, no, I am so focused on the audience and on giving and sharing what it seems we've agreed is important for them to know that I have no other capacity mm. for creativity or it's like all going that way. <laughs> right. 
So we touched on my follow-up was going to be about your habits and rituals um, that help you maintain focus, but I think you kind of touched on a few. But I want to ask a little bit of an interesting question. Like, What habits did you form as a kid that are still part of your daily life? You know what's interesting? I was talking to someone else about this recently. Because I came from such a troubled childhood, we didn't have a lot of family rituals. We weren't particularly religious. So we didn't even have those rituals. I mean, a few when I was younger, my mom, you know, made an effort to get us to like church and school and groups, but it, it sort of fell apart pretty quickly when we left my dad and we were on our own. And we had a few, a few family rituals, like very particular things my mom cooks during holidays that are sacred to me. But outside of that, the downside is I didn't grow up with routines and rituals. The upside is I was able to create many as I got older, as I traveled around the world, which I started doing when I was 19. And so, you know, by the time I was 30, I had been all over the world. By the time I was 40, I'm 43 now, um, I had doubled down on these other parts of the world. And so now the, the rituals that I have, albeit created a little later in life. So I can't think of one that comes from my childhood, except eating sweet potato souffle, you know, a couple times a year. That's my mom's recipe, but not like daily ritual, you know, those came later stretching. So the meditation practice and all that. Yeah. Stretching, athletic greens in the morning, mini meditations, my weekly hotshot rule that I often talk about. Those all were formed you know, in my 20s, 30s, and 40s. And so I'd say for anyone listening who's like, oh, like, it's okay if you don't follow Miracle Mornings to a T. Yeah. Um, you know, ritual and routine certainly helps. We are creatures of habit. I see that now with my children, how well they function with consistency and routine. And I think in some ways it was a disadvantage, you know, that I didn't have routine, that I was a bit scattered. Um, but it also certainly built a muscle of creativity and left the opportunity for me to build new rituals, which I now have with my children and my husband. So my husband and I have a monthly check-in with each other where we check in on our relationship, which I talk about often. On Sundays, we do Sunday dance party, you know, no iPads, no TV. It's like our little mini Burning Man We do Sunday dance party and now we've started Sunday speeches where everyone in the family stands up in front of the family on the couch and does, you know, a couple minutes about what they loved most about the weekend. Mm. Um, And my hope is it makes them really comfortable talking about things in front of people and spending time with family. So I didn't have a ton that were formed in my childhood. I'm trying to do a better job, my husband and I, at creating some of those habits, rituals, you know, that will last for them, but leaving enough space for them to make their own in the way that we have. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So let's talk about audience for a second. And I have a couple of questions on um, the power of building and growing an audience. And and you are certainly one of the, one of the really great examples on that. Um, Why do you believe, first of all, do you believe that it is an important intentional choice to build and grow a community? And if so, then why is it important for execs and founders to actually invest time in it? I hope that executives, founders, leaders first think really deeply about the difference between audience and community. Mm-hmm. They are different. How would you um, distinguish them? I mean, I've seen other people who specialize in this space go deep. So I would encourage people to Google these discussions. But in general, you know, an audience listens, a community engages. Um, and a community is an audience, but an audience is not a community. 
And so it's almost like this continuum, right? Where people see you, they're aware of you. It's just like the consumer continuum, which is awareness, consideration, trial, repeat. You know, think of that as as a human continuum of people who uh, are around you, around a person as a brand. And so there's awareness, consideration, like, do I want to engage? Maybe I follow, I like, I engage a little bit and trial. So that might be, I am a subscriber to your free Substack, um, but not the paid one with engaged, Mm -hmm. or I occasionally pop into your clubhouse rooms. I don't regularly attend and raise my hand to come up. Um, I read things. Uh, about you if I see them, but I don't, you know, I don't sign up to take your Maven course. Right. And and so, and then I don't tell other people about it. So there's this continuum and they're all important. I mean, I've seen Alexis Ohanian tweet about this several times recently, you know, the, the prophecy essentially that many firms, whether they're venture firms, private equity firms, or companies will be as defined, if not more so, by the reputation of the brands of their principals, you know, of their right. managers, as they are of their entity brand yep. over time. And I have always believed that is true and, and certainly have experienced that. I've also seen people go to the dark side of that belief system and spend too much time and energy trying to build audience or community or reputation or brand or whatever you want to call it at the expense of the focus on themselves and their company and their most important stakeholders. But I don't think that's the majority of the problem, right? The majority of the opportunity is for people to realize there is value in audience and community and to think about how to authentically build those things in a way that does not happen at the expense of their core priorities, but rather happens um, at the enhancement of those core focuses and priorities. But it starts with being vulnerable, being comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, the, there's a lot of many reasons people don't put themselves out there. And one of them is the crowds are not kind. Right. And when you are not perfect and you misstep and you make mistakes, it's very easy to tear people down when they've made themselves more public. Uh, and so it doesn't come without risks. Uh, but I do believe the, you know, the risks are worth it, worth it if you can think about doing it in the right way and not do it alone. Do it in group, do it in community, be of service to others, and maybe most importantly, help others do the same along the journey, right? It's not me building my audience at the expense of others building their audience, but this is this high, this abundance. It's a positive sum. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like community leads to community leads to community. And you are seeing that so clearly in the NFT space. Right. Like people in one Discord are focused on this NFT, but they're communicating about the next. And then you get a heads up about, you get a little alpha, you know, for the next one. Uh, and then somebody says, oh, I really need liquidity. Hey, I got you. I wasn't looking to buy right now, but that's great. And you, you really see this is community with a capital C, mm-hmm. you know, in these, in, in these discords and in these NFT communities. And there's a lot people could learn Again, a lot of mess, a lot of spam, a lot of noise, a lot of drama, but there's a lot of beauty in community with a big C and thinking about what it takes to really build that. And I've been in some of these NFT projects to see lots of potential, lots of hype. They didn't take care of the community, did not have good, there's not a lot of like corporate executives or seasoned communicators in some of these 
builder teams. And so some of them figure out their way through it and then they do an amazing job, but others have a ton of potential. They're great artists. They have good heart, but they just don't have the capability on communication and thoughtfulness and community building. And then the community will eat them alive. Yeah. Very quickly. I've been a part of a few of those and I'm not part of the mob, but I understand why it's happening. Um, so I, I do hope that modern leaders I have this deep belief around modern leadership and the, the variables in that equation. And one of those variables is understanding the difference between audience and community and then thinking about a way, thinking about how community, little C community and big C community what does it mean? What are the opportunities for you as an individual and also for for your company or whatever it is that you're building? I certainly hope that with Web 3.0, I mean, it's kind of like how with Clubhouse, the whole craze and and the uh, frenzy about Clubhouse still left the world and our, our economy with this new category creation called social audio, right? where now it's a category. There's yeah. other people building on top of that category. And it's almost become like part of a playbook now and, you know, yeah. going forward. I'm hoping that with Web 3.0 and all the experiments we're seeing, community becomes no longer just an optional afterthought while company building early days. And it becomes quite integral to the next generation of companies. You know, yeah. and, and whatever, whatever happens in the NFT space, whoever wins, whoever loses, whoever fizzles out, that's probably going to be a small footnote in history, yeah. you know, um, but the fact that this will be maybe hopefully an addition of community into the big leagues, you know, and um, that's what I'm excited about. Frankly, I don't care if Lazy Lions lose or if, if uh, you know, other cats win, but like, I'm really rooting for community to be super high up next to product because forever for the longest time in tech at least in silicon valley product was number one right like you didn't have to build community you know mark zuckerberg didn't have to worry about community from day one but the next web 3.0 founder has to take care of their first 50 60 100 200 early believers because clearly they own the tokens so it's like very important that they that they believe in them so yeah um, it's i mean again not to be such an nft head but being in these communities and the discords it's like the mechanics of community on bright display yeah. that translate to so many other things and verticals. And this idea, I mean, Jack Butcher just um, tweeted the other day, you know, from me economy to we economy. Mm-hmm. He's not the first person to say it, but it was a very succinct tweet. And the idea that you know, Web 2.0 was other people kind of owning us with our data and Web 3.0 is we own. Right. And it only succeeds if we own. And what happens when people have ownership? It's why it's bananas, man. And, and people who've had equity in companies know what it does. Right. But that has not largely been accessible right. to people around the world. And now we're seeing, I mean, again, those involved, I know this is still a very small world. It feels huge because I'm like <laughs> in the bubble, but I, right. I know it's very small. Um, but there are little sparks, little smoke signals, little things that will translate into more scaled parts of society and industries. And Pomp just had a really great tweet about this where he was he was very early to you know crypto and, and certainly early to NFTs. And he just had a, another tweet where he talked about you know how this will kind of shape and shake every industry. And I think he's dead on. And uh, so I I really do hope modern leaders, those who are maybe in the middle of their leadership journey, so they were born of a different era, Mm -hmm. needing to evolve into this modern leadership era, 
you know, I hope they make the leap. I hope they feel comfortable enough in their own skin with their egos, their reputations to evolve. Many will, some won't. And I hope those who are just entering the economy, the workforce, positions of leadership, that they respect that there are some muscles that come from different ways of working that they may not need right away when they're building communities and building a modern business, but to scale, they're going to need it. So it's like these generations and worlds and different ways of working are going to need each other, you know, to work really well over time. As much as we love decentralization, <laughs> anyone's been part of a DAO. Right. Many of them are a hot mess because there's such a fear of organization in some that they're missing the the framework. There's freedom in a framework. They're missing the framework. So in a pursuit of de decentralization, sometimes we can miss that some latticing and some framework is really helpful, you know, for the vines to grow properly. Everybody's still an individual vine. You're totally <laughs> decentralized, but you need some structure and right. some boundaries. And so there is a nice kind of melding of those worlds I'm starting to see. And it's interesting that you mentioned the, uh, the DAOs because I, I wonder if the world of decentralization is, is skipping over the benefits of structure and organization, because I think you can still have a decentralized space with some sort of structure and organization because organization doesn't equal centralization yeah right organization can be like me being myself being organized and being thoughtful around how i communicate interact engage and transact as opposed to being a wild wild west yeah. which many times it is so yeah. the really anyway. good gals that right. have that structure yeah. and then i've seen some really cool you know visions of some of what these folks are building future cities um, what Naval and others have talked about for quite some time and and many other great thinkers in that space talking about sort of like, you know, virtual cities. Yeah. And I read the Streetology that sort of blew yeah, my mind. Oh, yeah, I, I love what Balaji has said Oh my God, he's really. just like, he's living in 2050, you know, and we're all like 2020. My favorite part was two days ago, he said something around the lines of like how to build the next city Yes. Like just start yep. on the internet, right? You probably yep. saw that, yeah. Yep. And he said, like buying real estate for actually manifesting that into a city is the last step, right? Just do everything on the cloud, on you know, on a Discord I server. Love following Babaji's, and I was like, oh this. my god, that is so true. And I'm, I'm also, I was also a little bit concerned. I'm not concerned, but a little bit terrified of the spooky nature. I'm like, what if somebody takes this playbook? And literally builds like a giant city out there somewhere in in, in, in Latam or Africa or whatever. And that person has bad intentions. I was like, oh, it will that happen, could work. Right? It will, again, when you're early in this space, there will be right. you don't negative, it's dark kind of like a, and light right. noise. But the beauty is you don't have to go there. Yeah, you know? that's right. and, um, and the housing country can decide to have values right. in which right. they evaluate what type of cities can pop up. I first heard uh, Balaji talking about this on Clubhouse right? and then followed him after very closely. And yeah, some parts Have of you done a like, content piece with him? I think that would be terrific. It, no, no I've never done it. I'm just, yeah. a, just a, a fan of, you know, of his thinking and perspective broadly. And, you know, while it does look like 2050, the year 3000, you know, it <laughs> seems crazy. In many ways, it doesn't. And that's, the more, the more that's why I was worried because I was like, this is clearly happening. Clearly, oh, yeah. like it's very possible, right? When when you see the DAOs, the, the NFTs, and you're like, wow, it is very possible, you know? Yeah. Um, and there are real initiatives with real architects and right. real money 
yeah, go so like the jet.com founder building uh, a city. And it's like, it is it's happening as we yeah. speak. You know, I, I posted following closely. Right. So energize. Of course they have, I think Bjark Ingels doing the, the architect. architecture. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating. Um, yeah. Anyway. So thank you so much, Kat. I, I don't want to take more of your time, but this was incredible. I really enjoyed just, you know, talking to you about things that you care about, things that you're, you know, that you're passionate about. And clearly there's so much passion that I love that you bring to every interview. You know, I'm so I'm, I'm grateful that you're here. You, you are here and uh, would love to keep in touch and uh, have you back on for, for a future session sometime. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks so much.